0: Blob Talk Radio Ten, nine, eight, seven.
1: Hi, my minions. Welcome to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And thank you to our facilitator, Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States we got a jam-packed show for you today. What's on the roadmap? Matthew Embry standing by in the balanced green room. Going to break down some college football. Uh, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Uh, has Notre Dame made a turnaround with their new quarterback? Uh, did Coach Kelly have something up his sleeve when the quarterback uh, switcheroo against Wake Forest? And we'll get into that conversation as well as the top 25 Uh Steve Wilson, uh, editor and chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, talks with us a little bit about the Monster Mile as uh, uh, NASCAR rolls on into Dover, and it's week four of the NFL. There's a panic time for the Colts, Eagles, and other teams. Uh, Rick Brigham will be joining us as as well. Um, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor going to break down week four panic attack mode, and then we roll on into MLB playoffs, how about them Braves, how about them Brewers, what's going to happen between the Yanks and the Red Sox, we're going to get into all of that with Mo from the BS Sports Show. My name is Tom Mark, Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digits, stand by, it's about to get good.
0: Tonight.
2: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
3: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals, see live educational shows, feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: All right, welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marcusell, Presidente, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Let's jump right on into this bad boy today. Matthew Embry uh, joins us from up in Mishawaka, WTSB. Did I get that wrong, Matt? I am so sorry. I always get that wrong. I apologize.
6: WSBT.
1: WSBT up in South Bend uh, joins us. We're going to talk to Notre Dame football, uh, but first, uh, I know uh, we have some racing uh, coverage uh, stuff to talk about as well. Uh, anything? Uh, first of all, anything on the IndyCar funny season that you that you want to talk about? And I, I know that there is the Bathurst uh, uh, One Thousand that went underway yesterday. So, any racing highlights you want to cover real quickly?
6: Yeah, Bathurst One Thousand gets underway. The green light is in about. 14 hours from now since they're obviously in the land down under. So it'll be interesting to see how that event goes. Uh, Simona DeSolvesco being the one driver of local interest concerned, she was an ex-IndyCar veteran. But uh, ultimately right now the big signings, uh, Felix Rosenquist uh, goes to Ganassi, uh, Indy Lights veteran that uh, didn't have a full-time ride, but when he had rides, he took advantage of them. Uh, that means Ed Jones is now out of the ride, and, Will Racing, uh, love them or hate them, uh, they've signed Santino uh, Ferrucci, it looks like, for next season.
1: Well, we'll see how that all pans out, but we certainly want to get into the top 25 of college football. We've kind of had a hiatus, a breaking rank the last couple of weeks uh, uh, because of other obligations that have uh, required uh, Rick and attention, but hopefully we'll get back on target with that coming up this week. Uh, but So we always try to uh, catch up what we missed, on Breaking Rank on the first part of the show with Matthew Ambry. Matthew, certainly right there in your backyard, Notre Dame. Uh, Coach Kelly makes a quarterback change. We talked about it on Breaking Rank. Um, didn't know maybe if that was the best move, but it turned out that it maybe it was a, a, a clever uh, move. Uh, maybe it was uh, – uh, Clever like a like a fox, as they say. Coach Kelly seems to have his team under control, and going into Virginia Tech, it's a I would say not must win, but a needed win.
6: I think it is a must win, considering the lack of uh, power that's left in their schedule after you get to Virginia Tech. I mean, other than USC, I don't think there's really a matchup out there that could really give them any bonus points. They win it, so. Uh, this is a game that they must have. And obviously with Virginia tech about Josh Johnson for the rest of the season due to a torn ACL. Uh, the opportunity is there to get the victory, but uh, obviously they got a tough defense to deal with with the Hokies. And uh, obviously a have this crowd at Blacksburg. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Notre Dame adapts to that. Be very imperative for them to get an early against Virginia tech. I think that would help them greatly uh, in a game that's going to be close. I think a lot of people think it's going to be. Does Notre Dame have their quarterback? I think they do based on what Ian Book has done. Uh, granted, we'd uh, be very nice to see how Virginia Tech plays. They play, you know, yeah, clever defense and make the, him have to throw or put the pressure on. Because remember, running back-wise, Notre Dame is still without Jafar Armstrong. They're not without Tony Jones Jr. this week. So you have just two options right now. One of them is Dexter Williams, who's not as a runback. And then you have your freshman, and Jameer Smith. So it would be very interesting to see uh, how – Coach kind of tries to establish the running game uh, with two major cards in that backfield at uh, unavailable tonight.
1: Well, certainly let's uh, take a, a recap or a relook at Stanford. I think we talked about circled that game as, as a game that w- we thought that uh, Stanford would give the Irish uh, a, uh, a hard time of it, but it, it didn't look like it happened that way. It looked like that Notre Dame was pretty much in control of the whole thing. Can we read into any tea leaves? Was uh, Stanford just having a bad day or has Notre Dame finally found their way this year?
6: Stafford's offensive line, I think, was a disappointment. I mean, to let someone like Jerry Tillery get four sacks in one game, uh, that just says that the offensive line just isn't there. And uh, Bryce Love was disappointing. In fact, he was, I believe, uh, taken out of the game late. I don't know if he was injured or what the case was. And uh, they, they did it. Costello just looked like a hurried quarterback the entire way. But we've uh, been curious to see how Jerry Tillery, uh, Virginia Tech's offensive line handles him if they try to double-team or whatever the case is. And, of course, if you do that, then you got to worry about some of the other players like Dylan Hayes uh, coming from that uh, outside defense bench spot. So, if you could stop Tillery, there's other problems on that line you got to worry about.
1: How big of a role uh, does uh, uh, Nico Ferrecho and Aliza Jones uh, play in tonight's, in today's matchup? Uh, I
6: think you mean, as in, N- Matt
1: yeah, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Yes. Uh,
6: if you can limit the drops like you did last week get Stanford, they say, I'll say, Mac, you keep carry around the tight end spot. I guess one thing that separated Book and Wimbush is Wimbush had uh, inability to get the tight end involved. Book's been able to do that. Uh, obviously, the fourth down pass to Cole Comet being another key play, and Nick Wisher with the first down catch. So if they continue down the middle, I think they'll open up the opportunity certainly for a Miles Boykin a Chris Bank or a Chase Claypool to do some damage against this uh, Virginia Tech secondary that is not highly regarded.
1: We're talking with Matthew Embry, uh, college football, top uh, 25 college football. Uh, we're talking Notre Dame and Virginia Tech right now. And Notre Dame uh, got Pittsburgh coming up next week and the following week, week you got Navy. Let's uh, play for a moment that we live in a world of puppy dogs and butterfly and Notre Dame goes 7-0. and What does that do to the committee when they decide, oh, okay, what do we do now?
6: Well, it's going kind to of depend how many undefeated teams are left. Uh, if you have teams in the SEC that are still undefeated, like, for instance, if Kentucky gets by Texas AM this week and Georgia has no problems, uh, I still think uh, Notre Dame's on the outside looking in. I think they need some help uh, considering, like I said, how some of these other opponents on their schedule have plummeted uh, in recent weeks, like Florida State, for instance. Syracuse is okay, but I wouldn't say they're an elite team by any means. Navy's sit them on the hard times as well. So, and USC also has not looked that strong. So, the thing at this point is uh, they need to see some of these opponents on their schedule start winning games so they can improve their resumes and obviously in the turn help theirs as well. Because right now, I think even with one loss, they're not there yet.
1: To kind of go through these top 25 games While we still got some time on the clock We'll start with uh, number 15, Virginia Against uh, Maryland in this Big Ten matchup uh, the, Tur- ten, Tur- ten, the Turtles We'll just call them that uh, Seems much easier to say uh, You know, good football team I wouldn't say solid And I would certainly think that Michigan uh, Would have ha- a good win today uh, Against them at noon uh, In this Big Ten matchup uh, But uh, what, what can we say looking into the hourglass or tea leaves, if you will, of Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines? It seems like he's having a lot better season than what we thought he was going to have.
6: Well, they haven't gotten to the tough part of the schedule yet. They still have Michigan State to play. They still have Ohio State. So there's still uh, some things that he's got to deal with down the road, but I don't believe that Maryland's going to be a problem for him this week.
1: No, I do not believe so at all. I think this is a, a one-in-the-win column for Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Let's go on over uh, to another game today, West Virginia Mountaineers against Kansas. Uh, obviously, Kansas is pretty much a non-talker in football. Uh, if we were a basketball, that would be a, a different story. Uh, but West Virginia, uh, number nine, West Virginia, very solid team. Like these guys a lot. Certainly fun to watch. And, and uh, really, I, I tell you what, uh, the, the West Virginia Mountaineers really do have a good team here in
6: 2018. Still haven't seen uh, right now in a major test for them as of yet. Kansas obviously won't give them that. Uh, West Virginia wins this game easily, but uh, they still have work to do, I think, right now, to test the committee because, like I said, it seems like the committee has a negative view towards the Big 12 as opposed to the other Power Five conferences. That uh, manifests again. Uh, they could have problems uh, for them and Oklahoma, who's got a tough play against Texas today, uh, being mm-hmm. able to manifest and justify them getting in the class. Because that's uh, one thing that's been obvious the last few years, is there's been a kind of disdain toward the Big 12.
1: Yep. Absolutely, number 19, uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma is number seven, uh, but I tell you what, they should be ranked a lot lower, and Texas should be ranked a lot higher, so we'll see how that game plays out. Obviously, number one, Alabama against Arkansas. I'm not seeing much of, a, of an issue here for Alabama. Alabama's still going to be Alabama, and Alabama's still going to do what Alabama does. And until Alabama proves us wrong, uh, we're just going to assume that they're going to go on through and, and win some ball games. and today is no different.
6: Alabama's got this one in the bag. I think, obviously, you take a look at what the opponents are right now. And uh, Arkansas, i got to say, Arkansas has been a little bit of a disappointment so far this season. I thought we'd see more from them. They'd be at the level, say, where Kentucky Kentucky is, and they haven't gotten there yet. And I don't think they'll get there this week either. And uh, it's hard to see uh, Arkansas coming into this year being a one in 5 club. Looks like that's where they're headed after this week
1: got another Big Ten matchup, uh, number 20, Michigan State against Northwestern. What are your thoughts?
6: Northwestern's probably the best one-and-three team that's out there right now. Uh, they've been close to winning games multiple times this year. Uh, should be more than just a one-win team. I think they'll give MSU a run, but I believe that the Spartans will find a way to get the victory of Spartans team today.
1: we got Boston College against number 23, North Carolina State. We saw Boston College and what they could do against Notre Dame. Do they have what it takes to beat North Carolina State?
6: Uh, I would say no at this point based on what we had last week. But overall, it's still a lot of things uh, in the question mark pool for both cool schools at this point. I'm surprised NC State's in the rankings, even though they are 4-0. they played a very limited schedule at this point. But uh, I believe that, again, the home team advantage will help them here, and I believe we'll pack with by the Eagles.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, we've got a uh, rivalry in the Sunshine State today uh florida state against miami florida florida state big disappointment this year i think a lot of people are missing their uh, jimbo fisher if you will uh but uh florida
6: miami easily get this game uh florida state like you said it's been too much here or miss right now and the opponents that they've beaten that not exactly the strongest out there uh and again, talk about uh, raucous crowd. Remember last time Notre Dame went to Coral Bay was they lost forty-one to eight to Miami. Uh, I don't say, I'm not saying the Florida State's going to lose by that much, but I don't believe they're going to come close to beating another Hurricanes today.
1: I don't think Oklahoma State's going to have much of a problem with Iowa State today. I don't know that this is really a game that needs a lot of talking about, but uh, it is a number twenty-five team. Oklahoma State is.
6: Hopefully, I think right now is on the verge of elimination from the talk. Right now, they need to find a way to keep winning ballgames. The loss they suffered was bad enough. Uh, should have no problems beating the Cyclones, but they can't afford they got to win this game convincingly that they want to get themselves back up to a position where they can challenge for uh, one of those four playoff spots.
1: Number five, uh, Tigers, LSU Tigers, and the number 22, Florida Gators. This should be a good matchup as well, but I think LSU certainly will come out on top on in this, in this matchup.
6: I think Florida can give them a run. I think, obviously, the wake-up call came with the four performance against Kentucky. You never know at this point. Obviously, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is a tough place to play, but it just depends on what attitude Florida is in. If they're in the right set of mind, I think they could give Ed Orgeron's team some trouble. But uh, like you said, I think LSU finds a way to sneak past this one, but it will be a test for them against uh, the Gators.
1: Talking with Matthew Embry, also our uh, official IndyCar contributor, but uh, a, a college football contributor over on Breaking Rank, and glad he's able to join us this morning to help us break on some of these games that are happening today. Number four, Clemson against Wake Forest. This is a non-talker. Clemson should uh, have a, a a pretty solid win here.
6: Well, that's what we thought last week against Syracuse, and they had to problems beating the Orange. Good point, and, uh, and good point. Uh, the thing is, the Wake Forest, this is a, should be a much better Wake Forest team than what we've seen. I did not expect them to get blown away by Notre Dame like they did, giving up 56 points. Uh, just their defense just doesn't have it right now at this point to hold off uh, Trevor Lawrence and company with Clemson. Uh, be interesting to see how Trevor Lawrence backs back, bounces back from his injury he suffered last week, uh, if that's the case. Uh, could be a closer game, but I still think Clemson should have no reason to lose it.
1: Well, we got Arizona State against number 21, Colorado. Uh, What are your thoughts there?
6: Potential danger game for Colorado. Obviously, Herm Edwards has gotten a decent record, 3-2, not the greatest, but not bad for Arizona State. But I believe Colorado finds a way to get the victory uh, for Ralphie and Company.
1: Big game here in Indiana as far as uh, uh, Indiana fans go. Uh, As far as... uh, Maybe not in the overall standings of the top 25, although it would be a great win for Indiana against the Ohio State Buckeyes. But the Ohio State Buckeyes visit Bloomington, Indiana. Obviously a game I'm going to be watching for both personal reasons and uh, just uh, a lot of reasons, but I'm going to be watching this game. Ohio State, though, has not necessarily had an easy way against indiana in the past and indiana is actually a moderately good football team since we're talking about indiana football uh, they are a a bold potential type a team they do have to win these big 10 matchups i don't know that they'll win against ohio state at home but it would be huge but that said indiana seems to always find a way to play ohio state a very good ball game
6: Thing is, they gotta get off to a much better start. They against Michigan State, the game they lost, they fell fourteen, I believe 14-17 nothing behind early against the Spartans, and they never recovered from that. Uh, if they do that against Ohio State, uh, they'll have an equally ineffective uh, run today. But uh, Ohio State, uh, a team that's looks okay in certain games, not okay in other ones. They're still undefeated, but uh, they've certainly uh, left some change on the table, at least based on what I've seen in the first few weeks. But uh, I don't believe in is going to be the one that knocks them off at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a, a tough task, but, man, wouldn't it be nice to see. Uh, SMU against number 12, UCF, uh, not a lot to talk about in this game. Certainly, uh, UCF is a solid number 12 in their rankings there, but what are your thoughts?
6: You got to feel bad for UCF because, I mean, the – they have a solid team there's no question about it. The problem is they just don't play the type of competition that's going to get them in the committee's eyes. Even if they go 12-0, and 0, I still don't think that's going to be enough to merit them, a top-four spot in the college football playoff. And, uh, yeah, it's this talented team, but they're just not in the right conference, and they don't have the level of opponents necessary uh, to be in consideration, even though they are in the top 12 of the polls so this week. It potentially could be in the top ten if some, a couple other teams start to fall by the wayside. But, again, it's not enough for them, I think, to be able to get into the realist conversation of getting into the college football playoff, even if they do run the table like they did a year ago.
1: So tonight, a game that the whole nation is going to be watching and probably be paying uh, close attention to, that's number 13 Kentucky Wildcats against a, uh, uh, the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, man, yeah, Kentucky started off the season well, and I tell you what, they've not looked back since that Florida game. What are your thoughts on this matchup between the – the Wildcats and uh, the
6: Aggies.
0: I think if Texas a deep and force
6: and can put the point down, Benny Snell Jr., uh, force Terry Wilson to beat them, I think they're going to have a good chance. Kentucky's, this is their first true road test outside the Florida game. Uh, a lot of people think that Texas a and going to get the victory here. I believe they will, but it's going to be a very tight uh, for a Texas a team that has had chances to pull off big wins, but has come up empty-handed on two occasions. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be three for three or not, but uh, certainly the pressure is going to be on Jimbo Fisher and Mike Elko uh, to find a way to keep this Kentucky deep offense in check because we know Kentucky's defense is extremely stout, at least they have been in the last three wins they've had.
1: You know, talk about teams that are always snubbed by the committee. Washington is one of those teams, and uh, Washington has UCLA today. Uh, it should not be much of a problem uh, for them to win down there in Southern California, uh, but Washington just can't get the eyes of those committee, and I don't think it's going to change with a win or a loss with this game.
6: How is UCLA 0-4? That's the thing that's right now the big puzzle for me, Tom. I have a Chip Kelly coming in. Yes, it's going to be a tough situation, but – This is a much better Bruins team than an 0-4 record would indicate to me, and i got to say I think it's going to become 0-5 after Washington has their say uh, in
0: Pasadena this afternoon.
6: You know, we got Vanderbilt
1: and number two, Georgia. I mean, Georgia's a good, good team. Uh, and by a lot of counts, maybe uh, if it wasn't for Alabama, they would be a number one team. But we also saw Vanderbilt play, uh, play Notre Dame very, very hard. One would think, logically, that Vanderbilt uh, does not have enough in their arsenal to beat Georgia. But what are your thoughts on this matchup?
6: Vanderbilt's taken steps backwards. since that Notre Dame near victory. Uh, I gotta say, I'm surprised that they've struggled the last couple of games. They were had trouble beating an FCS team in Tennessee state. They were soundly beaten last week. And I think the soundly beaten going they go over here when they make the trip to Athens uh, this afternoon to take on Georgia. Uh, this is a Vanderbilt team. that I thought we had much more from say to the level of Kentucky and, uh, Boy, it has not happened since they lost Notre Dame, where they had a golden opportunity to get that victory, and uh, who knows where they might be if they had gotten it.
1: Absolutely. Well, we got another matchup in the Big Ten that I think is an intriguing matchup. You got a good Wisconsin Badger team against a up-and-coming and an up-and-rising Nebraska Cornhusker team. Uh, a win to uh, with against the Badgers is not going to do much to move the needle for Nebraska, but will Tech be good moral win and a good uh feel good win uh for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I think, honestly, if you're we to look at a at a team that might get knocked off today from the top twenty five, it could be sitting right there in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh
6: actually that game is in Camp Randall Stadium and considering how poorly Nebraska played against Purdue. Uh, Wisconsin I think this should be an easy victory for them even though this is a team that did lose to BYU and of course BYU got dumped uh, last night by Utah State I believe 45-20 to uh, this is not the team that's going to be knocked off here Nebraska's got a big mess right now and you got to feel bad for Scott Foss's in his first year trying to turn this program around and uh, unfortunately I think they're going to be just like UCLA at 0 after this week
1: well certainly uh Stanford plays Utah. You would think they will bounce back from the uh, stomach gut punch that their Dame gave them last week. The Utes and Stanford, what are your thoughts?
6: If Stanford has better offensive line play, they should have no problem beating Utah. But I think it all comes down to the way the offensive line plays in this game. If Utah can get through to K.J. Costello, and uh, unknown about what nice love can or can not be in the D tonight, Uh, But ultimately, I think Stanford does win the game, but uh, Utah could give it a run for maybe three quarters. Got
1: a couple late-night games. If you want to stay up late and watch these games, Colorado State and San Jose State, Fresno State and Nevada, what are your thoughts on those two really late games?
6: Colorado State, I think, has been a disappointment to me. I thought they would be a much better contender at this point. I think the opening week loss to Colorado, I think, really killed their chances, and Nevadas looked okay, but Fresno State. I don't think those are teams. You look at the Mountain West. I think are going to pose much of a trouble to say, a Boise State down the road. So uh, it's a good, decent win maybe for a decent bowl and among the ones they have a chance to get to, but I don't believe it's a contender for uh, possibly not to have the Boise State later this year.
1: And if you want to make it an all-nighter, you got got uh, Wyoming and Hawaii starting at midnight out in Hawaii. You know, we talked about Hawaii on uh, breaking rank, and we, we thought and feel like maybe that Hawaii has a pretty good team this year, but, man. It's hard for them to get any any eyes on them just because of where they're located.
6: ECT, I mean, they got a good start. Let me bring them up here for a second. So, My fear is going to clap on it, But, but just, Yeah, you're right. You look at a team that got up to such a fast start with all the early games that other teams didn't have to deal with. And, again, 13 regular season games for Hawaii one factor. Lost to Army, though, obviously, Army's looking a lot better than advertised now after almost knocking off Oklahoma. Uh, you got a decent record there going in five and one tonight. I think it'll be six and one after they get the job done against Wyoming tonight. Uh, but still some tough games obviously, the trip to Provo, Utah took up next week's gonna be a tester, and uh, San Diego State could also be a test. but uh, you look through those games, uh, there's a chance for them to get a decent record, probably not enough to get them to the Mountain West Championship game, but certainly a position for a good bowl. Uh, maybe even outside of the, the bowl, that they host the Hawaii Bowl.
1: But talking with Matthew Embry. Uh, I'm going to have you say the radio station again. I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to do, Matt. I'm going to put a sticky note right here on my board that says Matthew's radio station because I, I typically we talk. We talk uh, racing. I refer to your uh, racing outlet, which is easy for me to remember. So, uh, again, give us where people can find your working masterpiece, sir.
6: Again, Facebook, Matt Embry, Twitter, Matt Embry, and, of course, uh, 961 WSBT, where we're going to be located. Keep in mind, our coverage starts at college game day here in about 20 minutes, and then we get really going around 3 o'clock with, uh, for instance, the re-airing of Thursday's Brian Kelly show Then we have a 4 p.m. Uh, Tim Growl From State Farm Insurance, Evan Sharpley Our former Notre Dame quarterback with game day uh, We've got uh, Dr. Brian Radigan as one of our guests uh, The team doctor, team physician for Notre Dame And then, I believe another player I don't remember off the top of my head who that Was unfortunately but That's always a fun show to tune into And then we have uh, Sean Stiers Eric Hansen and Derek Pritchett with game day sports Beat from 5 to 7 Then we join the Notre Dame coverage from 7 until the end of the game, and then we wrap up the night uh, with Sean Stiers, Reggie Brooks, and the official Notre Dame football postgame show. So long night ahead. It'll be very interesting to see how it goes to Notre Dame, but uh, I think you look at the situations right now, I think Notre Dame does find a way to win this game. I'll have Notre Dame beating Virginia Tech 28-24.
0: Well,
1: we'll see how all that pans out. Uh, Matthew, we appreciate you joining us. You're more than welcome to stick around and talk some NASCAR with me and Steve Wilson. Uh, do you want to stick or do you got to go?
6: Unfortunately, time's getting tight. Like I said, I got to play watchdog on that college game. Add to that, I've been battling a little bit of back spasm issues this week, so I need to heal up a little bit so I can get back to work on uh, Monday.
1: Well, I hope you get to feeling better. Matthew Embry, I appreciate you uh, breaking down these college games for us, and hopefully uh, we'll have you back on uh, Breaking Rank here
6: soon, sir. Anytime, Tom.
1: Matt, Matthew Embry joins us uh, talking. Uh, he's our, I saw our official IndyCar contributor, but uh, in college football, he jumps in with us on Breaking rank and helps us break down the college football games, obviously up there in, in Notre Dame country. My name is Sean Mike President J. Steve Wilson of uh, Speedway Digest is standing by in the green room. We're gonna, Yes, we are going to talk some NASCAR. It seems like forever since we've talked some NASCAR, but we're going to get back on the NASCAR train uh, and talk the Monster Mile what's going on in the state of
5: Delaware. We'll be right back.
2: The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
3: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eel, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark. President. Presidente, 917 is our digits. Thank you to Matthew Embry uh, for breaking down the college football action. And, obviously, we talked a little bit of Notre Dame, uh, Virginia Tech, and certainly if they're on a roll right now. We'll see what happens uh, with them. And, obviously, breaking down the top 25. But joining us now, we are back into some NASCAR talk. And it is October, which means we have a lot to talk about as we are getting down in the final uh, parts of the championship. Chase, if you will, uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, editor of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Welcome to October, sir.
7: Yeah, we're coming down to the end of it here. Just, I mean, we started by way back in February, and it's already October. So, wow, I mean, lots <laughs> of stuff going on right now. <laughs> NASCAR
1: is one of those uh, sports that really has a very little, uh, very little uh, off season. I do want to get into t- uh, 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 the stadium and kind of a recap because I know it's been a few weeks since we've had you. on, So we kind of want to just do a recap of what's happened over the last couple of weeks. And obviously uh, they roll into Dover and in the Monster Mile. I know that was an issue and complicated some things uh, yesterday. Hopefully they'll get that underway today. But I wanted to ask you real quickly, and I know we talked offline about this story. Uh, this real. Really weird, bizarre story regarding uh, NASCAR truck racer Jordan Anderson and his arrest, or a warrant for his arrest, I should say. But now I'm learning and hearing that that, um, those charges have now been dropped. He no longer has a warrant for his arrest. Very bizarre story uh, regarding a truck that he bought uh, from somebody that didn't actually have ownership of the truck to sell it to him. Uh, and I guess the the thought was Jordan Anderson knew that when he bought it, which made him uh, in possession of stolen uh, property or larceny, if you will. And that was the charges that were against him. But I guess those charges have now been dropped. Can you help us understand what happened, how it happened, and where we're at now? And what was NASCAR's reaction to uh, truck driver Jordan Anderson?
7: This was an incident that started way back in 2017 with a with a used truck that he had bought from another individual that, um, from my understanding, was uh, in possession of the truck to, to work on it or rebuild it or do something with it of some sort. Um, and instead, he sold the truck out um, to Jordan Anderson. Now, there's some debate on whether, you know, Jordan actually knew the truck wasn't the individual's to sell or it was stolen or, you know, whatever the case is. There, there's a little bit of confusion around how exactly or what exactly he knew. Irregardless, um, um, closer a year later or a couple months ago, there was um, some, um, some charges levied against him um, for this truck, for the return of the truck. Um I guess there was some additional refusal into returning this truck the The truck was actually put on track um just a handful or so weeks ago a month ago or something like that um and the the individuals then um requested or and through the sheriff's department and uh asking for the truck to be returned back to them. I guess again, it was refused, and a warrant for his arrest was issued um, for receiving essentially stolen property. Um, it really didn't come to light until about a week and a half or so ago. <clears throat> and, uh, when the, when these charges were finally, you know, officially filed and, um, you know, the arrest warrant was, was issued for Jordan Anderson. However, uh, over the last week, week and a half or something like that, him and his attorneys have been working this out with not only the, the, I guess the, uh, State Attorney General, I mean not the Attorney General, but the um, um, the prosecutor's office and uh, you know, the Sheriff's Department, and I guess they've made their case to them, which has resulted in the the charges you now being dropped and the the arrest warrant um, no longer, um, you know, no, no longer seeking his arrest. NASCAR pretty much stated that, you know, they were watching the incident, they were aware of the incident, they wanted to see what was going to happen with the incident, but... So far, um, you know, they they didn't throughout the process. They just kind of sat back, waited to see what happened, and uh, whether he was actually going to be arrested or charged, or you know whether there were going to be some repercussions from that. But uh, NASCAR, aside from that, they just were sitting on the sidelines, waiting for something official to occur.
1: So we kind of know now that that it's kind of dissolved. So NASCAR is not going to get involved, and he's he's cleared to race, and he can continue going about his NASCAR business.
7: Yeah. So at this time, there, there's just there's going to be no repercussions from this. In 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 auto racing, there's a lot of disputes that go around. There's a lot of people that go unpaid. It's just the nature of the sport. There's people that point fingers at others and. You know, NASCAR is very aware of this uh, and, you know, how this happens a lot of times. So, you know, they, they um, you know, they do, uh, you know, they do sit on the sidelines and they do, you know, give the benefit of the doubt until something officially happens. Like, you know, when, uh, uh, somebody is either arrested or uh, prosecuted and. Uh, convicted and actually, uh, you know, um, either goes to jail or has to pay some fines or whatever the case may be. You know, NASCAR typically in most cases sits back and watches the process work through because, um, you know, unfortunately in sports, uh, you know, there are a lot of finger pointing and there's a lot of people, like I said, that's gone unpaid or, uh, you know, somebody claiming that they have something or, you know, we, we've seen this time and time and time again and, you know, NASCAR, you know, lets the court systems and law enforcement work this thing out, and uh, you know, I think rightfully so that you know they they give the benefit of the doubt to all parties, and then when something you know really you know officially does happen, then they come in, they step in, and they do what they have to do from their side. But they're not law enforcement, they're not a prosecutor, they're they're not the judge and jury. But you know, they let everybody else handle that for. Uh, outside of that, in the legal world, and um, through uh, law enforcement, and then you know when when it does come down that they you know the individual or whatever the case is really has done something, then that's where they step in. So you know I uh, you know I like I pretty much, I applaud NASCAR for for you know doing that and taking that approach, in, in not only just this, but in other situations too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was a bizarre story. So we're going to get your thoughts on it. Now, you know, I, I, we rely on you being our expert. And, you know, we're going to get into Charlotte's race. We'll get into this uh, 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 chase race, if you will, to, to wind up the season and see where we're at. But one of the things that we know here recently is NASCAR explained its decision to implement a new aerodynamic package for the 2019 Cup Series. Uh, and they had to go through and explain that. So, you know what, I'm going to rely on you and lean on you to help us understand what changed, why it changed, and how it's going to affect teams and drivers and or, and or fans.
7: Well, NASCAR over the last couple of seasons uh, has experimented with various different packages. At Indianapolis, they had a very high downforce uh, package with um Uh, a different style radiator pants uh, splitter area duct work uh, spoiler and various different other things. Kentucky they went with a uh, low low downforce package where they took a lot of the downforce off of the cars via the rear spoiler and wicker Um, at Charlotte they went with a combination package that was uh, a restrictor plate with high drag um, so you know NASCAR has experimented over time with various different packages in an effort to close the racing up and to um, you know build closer competition. That you know uh, you know we we've had this arrow effect over the last couple of years that so, you know arrow has been a real problem within these stock cars. That um, you know clean air wins the day, the dirty air behind it. Um, you know it 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 it. it Keeps it, it. It keeps the cars from getting as close as they want to be from one another because the air effect on it is too dirty. There is just too dirty on these cars, so they can't pass. They're not able to get up side by side. They're not able to close um, and, and race side by side, or you know, within close proximity of one another. So you know, NASCAR, looked at varying different options to um, to to solve some of those problems in twenty nineteen. <clears throat> they're going to do away with the restrictor plate. Um, I think it's a good test that they're going to do away with the restrictor plate. I think that the restrictor plate is long. We've been using the restrictor plate for nearly 30 years. Um, I think it's time that, you know, they experiment in other ways to uh, cut the horsepower on the motors without using restrictor plates because of the throttle response. Um, There literally is no throttle response, and that's why you see um, these, huge wrecks at Talladega and Daytona is because there's just literally no throttle response. You hold this thing wide open and then you let off the gas because the engine is so starved for, for, for air that there's just no responsiveness in the car to make any kind of maneuvers to get around it. Um, but you know, they're going, they're going with a new, they're going with, um, what they've, what they've had in the past or they've used in the past. Um, <clears throat> so, they're, so they're doing away Like I said, they're doing away with the, with the restrictor plate They're going to do away with that But they're going to put a tapered spacer In between the, the throttle body and the intake manifold And what, the, what this does is Depending on the size of it Depends on how much horsepower it cuts down in the engine However, it gives more re- throttle response To the driver themselves To make more maneuvers um, While it may bunch the cars up a little bit more The drivers have a little bit more maneuverability What they're also going to go with is they're going to go with uh, an 8-inch blade on the back for the spoiler. It's 8 inches by 61 inches. Um, This thing is going to create a massive, massive drag on the car. Um, um, Similar or more similar to what we see at these high plate tracks. Um, They're also going to go change the radiator pan in the front. They're going to change the splitter in the front. They're going to put duct work into the front. This is all in an effort to put A higher drag on the car to close the field up. With all of this said, I'm not an engineer. I'm not going to play an engineer. I'm not going to pretend to be an engineer. I can only tell you what this stuff does. I can tell you what this stuff does. I can tell you what it is and what and how it works. But I'm not going to try and get into the engineering side of that. You mean you don't get paid the engineer? you don't get paid no no, i'm not going to play an engineer on the phone or on tv so
1: (laughs) (laughs) well let's kind of get into where we're at now uh obviously big race in charlotte one of the things that we talked that was talked about this week talking about the charlotte raceway the owner is unlikely to add more what they call rovals now you and I kind of know what that is, uh, and it, it seemed to have good success last week. We're going to get into some about last week, some highlights last week, for that matter. Uh, but uh, talk with us a little bit about what a roll really is,
7: the concept behind it. Well, over the last you know number of years, we, we during the late 90s and 2000s, we've moved to these one-and-a-half-mile-style racetracks, and they're pretty much as they've been you know they've uh, been uh you know nicknamed as cookie cutters they all look the same uh they pretty much race the same It may be a little bit variable between one track versus the other based on its asphalt or its um or or its um uh the banking the degree of banking on the turns um and NASCAR fans have, over the last couple of years or so, said, you know, we want something new. We want um, we want more road horses. We want more short track. We want something different. We want you to disrupt what is currently going on because we go to the same places every year. We see the same racing every year. We we want something different. So SMI and NASCAR responded and. They built a road course uh, inside of the infield of Charlotte Motor Speedway, and this is the similar concept that Daytona does when they race the Rolex 24. It's a oval. Um, they, they race through a road course on the infield. They use the oval banking on the outsides of the turns, backstretch, and parts of the front stretch. Um, they took the concept from that, and they put stock cars on them. Um, It's about 16, 17 turns when you put it all together using both the infield road course and the oval um, course on the outside. So they've combined both of these together, and and again, and pretty much the same concept that Daytona has done for for eons with the Rolex 24. So if anybody's familiar with the Rolex 24 and how they race both the infield and the oval on the outside, that's exactly what Charlotte Motor Speedway did to create the roval in Charlotte.
1: Well, I tell you what, it provided some excitement, that's for sure. Obviously, uh, Kurt Busch says the only explanation for the Charlotte Roble uh, NASCAR uh, race leaders crashing in unison on the late restart was that all of us are just that stupid. BK locked up and slid into the barrier at the corner, nicknamed Heartburn Turn. Uh, while leading uh, with six laps to go, Kyle Larson, uh, Busch, Paul Menard, William Byron all followed him and sustained heavy damage. And then obviously we know about the huge win from Ryan Blaney getting his first win uh, with Penske, very monumental win. Recap the action at Charlotte because at the end, yeah, there was some action. All right, according to Kurt Busch, we are all just that stupid. <laughs>
7: well, it's uh, again, most of these drivers have had limited practice or have limited have been on this course very limited. I don't think it's stupidity to be honest with you. It's just that these drivers somebody said go back and look at when they went to Sears Point back in the eighties and they'll see the same exact type of racing, the same exact type of accidents, the same exact type of incidents that occurred throughout the race. And that was due to the fact that this is the first time that they had been on these courses. And while some of these teams had been out on these courses and they've tested over the last eight to 10 months or so, um, it's easy to go and run around there with one or two other guys, but when you put 40 cars on a track and they all try and do the same thing, well, then there's going to be incidents. And we've seen that, and we did see that. Uh, We saw Martin Truex Jr. early in the race spin out. We saw several drivers throughout the race wreck multiple, multiple, multiple times. I mean, Kyle Larson's, I mean, there wasn't, it was completely used up at the end of the day. It looked like it had just finished doing battle at Martinsville. It was destroyed, and in fact, it had to be towed off a pit road because they couldn't move the car anymore. Um, you know, the the late race incident between Truex and Johnson, um, that, that, that solidified Johnson's, um, end of his championship drive here in 2018. Uh, had he finished second and lifted, I think he would have been. Uh, he's gone back and he's uh, recapped and said, you know, if you would have done something different, even finishing second, he would still have a chance in 2018. But, you know, those guys were going hard. they were going hard for the win. they both wrecked. acting. at the end of the day, uh, Blaney, got, Blaney got another win this year. Um, but, you know, there were some severely damaged cars out there that took a hit in the points. I mean, when you, when you have uh, Kyle Busch that had to park it for the day, uh, Brad Keselowski had to park it for the day, uh, some of these other chase contenders, I mean, playoff contenders had to park it for the day. Uh, it, it was a hit for them, and uh, even though they closed the round out, um, you know, they, they were looking for more points that, you know, could have helped them going forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I thought you had something else to say there. Um, so my uh let's let's get into Dover obviously we had some weather issues uh, Kyle's gonna have the poll the 125 was uh, postponed till today looks like uh, maybe the weather is cooperating from what I'm seeing somewhat so far uh, hopefully they didn't pull the Indianapolis uh, chapter out of what happened here at Brickyard weekend because it was a total mess uh, but uh, talk with us about Dover and the monster mile and how this uh, chase points is, is stacking up and uh, who are we watching and who's
7: who who uh, who's in and who's not in? We'll put it that way. Well, I I don't <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think that there's you know too many drivers right now that can sit uh, and afford to sit around too much longer. I mean, we're really honestly coming to the end of this. I'm looking at some drivers towards you know the back of this thing like Alex Bowman or you know Kyle Warson took a heck of a hit this weekend. Like, you know if he if he can't get something together in the next couple of races, he may come out, he may win at, at Dover this weekend. And, you know, I, I think he'll be okay. Um, but there's some other drivers, I think within the top eight or so that uh, uh, Clint Boyer, I think he can't sit and wait around too much longer. He's sitting fourth in points right now. Too Too many bad hits could knock him down a little bit. Um, Ryan Blaney, by even though his virtue of his win, he's sitting right there on the cusp of in or out, you know, tied right now um, with uh, Chase Elliott. And I think some of these drivers, it's now a point where they have to go or, you know, they're going to be left behind, unfortunately. So this weekend, it, it's, you know, we, we get to go to a concrete racetrack. Tires sometimes play, an, a, play a role into this, but not so much this time of year where it's cooler now. Um, they're going to get some rubber down on this track early today. You know, well I think right now with the K&N series running. Um, but it's a very fast track. It's a high bank track coming off turn two. It can ruin your day pretty, pretty quickly out there because that track closes up. You get these nice wide racetracks around the turns, but you hit turn two, coming off that down back stretch, it, it it you know it really, um, gets really small coming through there, and we've seen a lot of incidences down the back that have ended a lot of people's day. Um, as far as Dover is concerned, it's, go go ahead. No, I was going to say they don't
1: call it the Monster Mile for nothing. And as you as you go into the track there in Dover, you'll, you're greeted by a huge stone monster statue eating up race cars. So uh, absolutely, that that's for sure. Go ahead and uh, final final points there, uh, sir, uh, for today's race. And and uh, uh, who's your prediction? and What are your
7: thoughts? Oh, I, I think that you know, you know, Jimmy Johnson has Jimmy Johnson. Unfortunately, has you know, on this 50-plus race win, uh, winless streak. And I think he's, uh, you know, he's he's looking for something to happen. Um, you know, he's won multiple times there at Dover in the past. I think he's going to put on a good show this weekend. I think he's got nothing to prove at this point. So other than going out there and trying to break that winless streak, I think this is a place where he could potentially do that at um, based on his previous record there. Otherwise, I would look at a Kyle Larson or somebody like that that needs to improve upon their days these tracks seem to play into his hand um and i i think those are the two right now you got to look at
1: well we'll certainly be uh watching it and certainly as the as the uh uh season winds down we'll be having you on breaking down uh the championship as we get ever so closer uh to it as we be, begin the month of
7: october uh see where can people find you working your masterpieces sir you can follow me on Twitter at Speedway Digest, com forward slash Speedway Digest, at SpeedwayDigest.com.
1: Steve Wilson, we appreciate you joining us, and we'll see what happens there today in Dover. Thanks a lot. You guys take care. Thanks steve wilson our official nascar contributor and we're back on the air with some nascar it's been a few weeks it seems like uh d- just because of, of a lot of different I- issues and situations uh, thinking to matthew Embry, uh breaking down some college football action uh for us at the beginning of the hour joining us in the balance green room here in just a moment rick Riggin, executive producer of the balance going to break down some nfl action we'll get some a uh, little bit of uh, notre dame talk from him and uh and uh, we'll, we'll see what else uh, we can get him to to chirp about. M- My name is Tom Michael, President. Hey, this is the Balance Radio Network.
0: We'll be right back tonight.
2: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
3: It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eel, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals, see live educational shows, feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure.
1: Welcome back to the balance. My name is Saul Martin Sell, president today, uh, Giving you that well-needed break from uh, Supreme Court nomination craziness. Uh, so we will definitely not be talking about that today. Thank you to, to Matthew Ivery, uh joining us and uh, talking some college football with us and Steve Wilson just now uh, talking about the Monster Mile out in Dover, Delaware NASCAR action. Of course there's some uh, changes in aero pack uh, for 2019 but joining us also is a I, not a Supreme Court judge nominee, but a Supreme guy that has been absent. Rick Wiggins, how are you, sir?
8: Executive <laughs> we'll this We'll just say I'm the Supreme Leader.
9: A <laughs> <laughs> Supreme
1: <laughs> Leader, that's right. And joining us now, also another Supreme Human Being uh, is uh, Mr. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm going to try to get this right again. Stand by. Uh, for uh, Sports Exchange, www.footballmaven.io/slash Eagles. Uh, welcome nailed aboard, Mister. Nailed extra- it! Nailed it! Nailed <laughs> it! Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Yep. That's right.
5: Ne- n- neither,
1: uh, none of us are going to get on the Supreme Court, uh, so we'll just have to have supreme knowledge of football today. Congratulations to Rick Riggin. Hey, those Braves got to the playoffs, at least to the postseason. I know you wanted a better result against <laughs> the Dodgers. <laughs> at least they got I there.
8: At least they got there. Better
1: than what we could say against my Cardinals.
8: Right. I was just hoping they could make some sort of a showing, but putting up no runs, you know, and the pitching has been outstanding for the Dodgers. Have to give it to the Dodgers so far, the Kershaw and Hi-U so far that they've gone against. But uh, I just wish the Braves would put up some sort of a showing. <laughs> well, again,
1: the Braves have, have – su- Got there and never gotten there. This time they got there, so maybe it's the beginning of something new. The Cardinals did not get there either, so but hey, how about them Brewers? You got to like the Brewers, and you and we got a classic match, matchup coming up. I tell you what, this is the time to be watching baseball. You got the Yankees and the Red Sox, Ed. It doesn't get any better than that in the in the in the uh, in the baseball playoffs. Yeah, well,
5: you know, congratulations to the Braves and Rick. I mean, look at the point of view here from Philadelphia, from the Phillies, who, you know, had first place in the NL East for about two months in the summer and then really went in the tank uh, late. They had an 8-and-20 spell, and there's just been a lot of uh, talk about whether they should fire their manager or not. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there at this point. It's the playoffs, great time of year for baseball. You know, uh, people bundled up in jackets here in the East, although it's been kind of unseasonably warm. But, uh, you know, I love the, 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 uh, the... The atmosphere at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs, I love that. Um, I don't think there's any better uh, postseason place in baseball than Yankee Stadium, to be honest. or even St. Louis. It's a shame the Cards didn't get there. Oh, yeah, maybe no. the Braves will win a game there. Maybe the Braves will win a game. I don't know. And the Brewers. <laughs> yeah,
8: maybe so. Heck, you
5: know, the, the, yeah, the Brewers or Rockies <laughs> are going to be playing. One of those teams is going to be playing for a right-to-go-the-world series, I think. Oh, my
1: gosh. The Brewers, you got to I, I, – I tell you what, that's who my hat's in for right now. Nothing against the Braves there, Rick, but uh, the Brewers <laughs> are on fire. And one of the things about postseason baseball, momentum can take you a long ways. Uh, you know, I was actually shocked that, that the Yankees – were able to beat the A's because the A's were a pretty hot team this year. Uh, so uh, now they got to go back and be the only team next year to play in that disgusting stadium in Oakland. <laughs> While well, the other, the Raiders go out to, to Las Vegas. Well, let's get into some uh, football talk. I do want to get some uh, both of your thoughts on two separate uh, college football games. We're going to get w- with you, Rick. We haven't had a chance to have you on Breaking Rank and talk Notre Dame, but certainly Notre Dame seems to have made the turn since the the quarterback change. Great ga- great showing last week against Stanford you got Virginia Tech this tonight man that's a win. but a question that I asked Matt maybe get your thoughts Rick even if the if we live in a world of puppy dogs and butterfly and the Irish go seven and0, oh, they are still on the outside looking in from the committee take Rick.
8: Well all they have to focus on really is just winning and' just let the teams uh, ranked ahead of them sort everything else out but the Irish run the table this year and go 12 and0. Uh, they're going to be in. Because if you think about it, Alabama and Georgia, they don't play each other in regular season, but if they stay undefeated, they're going to play each other in the SEC championship game. So one of them two is going to lose a game. Uh, They're going to drop out. So that's going to probably put Notre Dame in. And and also, uh, Clemson finishes undefeated. Notre Dame finishes undefeated. I think the, the committee puts in Notre Dame over Clemson just based off schedule.
1: Well, we'll see what happens there, and uh, Ed, I want to talk with you about Penn State. Penn State's football action has gotten a little nuts, but what are your thoughts on last week's game?
5: Um, well, I think that uh, Urban Meyer out-coached James Franklin, for starters. I think that, uh, you know, Meyer did a great job getting his team focused with eight minutes to play, down 12 points, I think it was. And, uh, you know, Penn State's defense just couldn't make a stop to get off the field. They got a little worn down late. But, uh, you know, I just think throughout the game when Penn State had that lead, you were seeing them snap the ball, uh, you know, late in the, in the game with, you know, 20 seconds left on the clock, the, the play clock, or, you know, 15 seconds left. When really, when they had possession of the ball in a 12-point lead, they should be milking that clock down uh, so Ohio State doesn't have as much time and make them be a little more desperate. So I, I just think Urban Meyer out James Franklin – Uh, You know, and you can look at that last play call that Franklin called that uh, handoff to Miles Sanders, who did nothing all game, uh, on fourth and five with the game on the line. You know, and you have a quarterback in Trace McSorley who just ran circles around that defense, uh, you know, accounting for 400 yards of of offense, over 400 yards of offense on his own. I mean, that to me uh, is Heisman worthy. uh, But as a team, Penn State just, uh, you know, that was a big loss for them. They're out of the playoff picture, obviously.
0: Yeah. Uh, the best
5: they can hope for is a New Year's Day bowl. But, you know, I think they have the Heisman Trophy winner and Trace McSorley playing quarterback for them.
1: I, I could agree with you more. And I actually had Penn State, I thought, uh, going into the season as as that uh, dark horse that could slip into that number four slot. but certainly doesn't look like that's going to be possible. Of course, Ohio State has my Indiana Hoosiers today. Go Hoosiers. Probably that's about as far as they go. Uh, so let's get I into the NFL. Is that game next week? Uh, excuse me.
5: Today. I think that game is next week, isn't it, Tom?
1: Ohio State and Indiana play today. I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say.
0: That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. <laughs>
1: well, let's get You're into right. week four, guys. Uh, the title of the show is uh, Week Four Panic Attack in the NFL. The NFL has no patience. Uh, one would say, logically, even that paper, uh, you know, uh, luck looks great. And we're going to start with because it was Thursday it was the short week a lot of people knew it was going to be a difficult game going into Foxboro history's not on their side there even if we'd had a a perfect season and we we are so close to being a 4-0 team we should have been a 4-0 team going in there uh but now we are are just we're we're a one and three team the Colts even though they look good on the field what matters Ed is and Rick is the the wins and losses, and you know we got Tom Brady now back, and they got Eidelman back, and, and the again, uh, Bill Belichick, the Tom Brady, and the and the Patriots do what they do, and now it looks like they're firing on all cylinders again. What were your thoughts just looking at uh, the Patriots just dismantle the Colts piece by piece? Really, uh, the, I, I would say the Colts were never really in it at all on Thursday night, Ed.
5: Uh, yeah, well, I, I, you know, I didn't see the game uh, Thursday night. I was, uh, I had I won tickets to go see Aladdin in New York City, so I took my daughter
0: that's what uh, you said. to see that
5: show, so I, I mean, oh, so I missed it. I thought you were but, saying uh, you, you watched the Braves game instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no,
5: I'm a, I'm a big, you know, you guys may not know this about me, but I'm a big Broadway show guy, man. I love going to this New York City and, you know, taking in a play or a show. I mean, that's like one of the favorite things I like to do, to get away from sports for a little bit, but, uh yeah I think you know look the Colts are close. I mean they've played close games maybe they may not have been in it Thursday night against Brady in uh, Fox Pro, but uh you know, I like the way the Colts are playing they're 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 a fairly young team that is still learning to win uh and and you know you could make some comparisons to the twenty sixteen Eagles uh, who went seven and nine in their first year under Doug Peterson, uh, but lost several close games in that stretch by seven or points or less. I think they lost seven games, so uh you know you have to kind of learn to crawl or walk before you can run and uh, you know, I think that's kind of what the Colts are doing. And you just hope that when they're ready to run uh, after this season, after learning from some of these defeats and what they can do differently to turn those into W's next year, you just hope that Andrew Luck is still healthy at that point. And, and so far, so good for him. He's, you know, he's playing well. He's, he's getting better each week, it seems. And, and that, that is very encouraging.
1: So, Rick, I know you were watching the Braves game, and I don't blame you for missing the Colts game. But what are your thoughts about the Colts this season overall? And I know you got Conor McGregor today too. Conor McGregor, is so there anything you want to say about that, <laughs> sir? <laughs> uh,
8: I I'm with that. I think I think the Colts are close. I think Frank Wright is is the right head coach there in Indianapolis. Uh, they still got some things to do to build around Andrew there. Uh, you know, the the last regime there in Indianapolis. Uh, it seems like they just couldn't get off the bench when it came to drafting the right guys and getting the right personnel in there to run the schemes. Now Frank Reich is there. I think he's going to get it turned around. They already look close. Andrew Luck looks good. Drafting Quentin Nelson was uh, has already made a huge impact for the Colts because he's not it's too early in the season that he that line just looks a lot better, especially with Quentin Nelson there. Now they got the injury to T. Y. Hilton. I, I'm not sure. I haven't seen the update on when he may or may not be back. Or real what his injury is, I just don't think he's playing this weekend. Uh, but I think they're they're close. Uh, that division doesn't look as nearly as daunting as we thought at the beginning of the season. Uh, with Jacksonville's not looking like the team from last year, uh, Tennessee is winning, but they're winning close games. Uh, I I think they being a were they one and three now, one and four. Uh, I I wouldn't say they've played themselves out of the season yet already, but. I think they're close. I don't think this is the year. But I think next year the Colts are probably going to be a contender for that division.
1: And let's get on over to the Eagles. It looks like the Eagles are having somewhat of a hangover, a Super Bowl hangover. I know you guys are at 2-2. Two and two. You, beat the, you, beat, uh, you beat the Colts uh, and you beat the Falcons with the bu- uh, Bucks And, of course, a uh, uh, very disappointing loss to the uh, to the Titans last week. Uh, what are your thoughts? Where are the Eagles at right now? Uh, How's things coming together with Carson uh, Wentz? Give us a report card on the Philadelphia Eagles.
5: Yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, it may be a little Super Bowl hangover, especially on the offensive line. They're, they're probably going to make a change in the starting lineup uh, to play the Vikings Sunday at 425. Uh, they're probably going to swap out their left guard, Stefan Wisniewski, uh, Penn State guy, and put in uh, Isaac Siamalu, who was drafted in the same class as Carson Wentz back in 2016. But, uh, you know, that line has been just kind of overwhelmed the last two weeks. You know, the Colts uh, put up five sacks against them. Uh, the Titans sacked Wentz four times and knocked him down 11 other times. So, you know, you put your quarterback on the ground 15 times in the 50 times that he drops back to pass. You know, that's not a recipe for good health for the rest of the year for a quarterback coming off of a knee uh, operation. So uh, the offensive line has struggled. You know, that's been one of the the things you can talk about the hangovers, but how it translates on the field is that offensive line isn't good enough. And then their secondary has been – uh, kind of uh, not up to the task either. Jalen Mills uh, has come under a lot of fire at one of the cornerback spots for giving up three, uh, you know, a lot of uh, yards through the air, uh, a couple pass interference calls called against him. So, you know, this is a defense that has allowed three wide receivers to put up over a hundred yards against them. Uh, Julio Jones, Deshaun Jackson, uh, and then last week, Corey Davis. And now you've got the Vikings coming in with Adam Thielen and uh, Stefan Diggs, who, might be the you know the best one-two receiver punch uh, in the NFC. Well, maybe the Rams are, have the better uh, one-two punch. Uh, but uh, you know the Vikings, Thielen and Diggs are very good. There and Kirk Cousins has played the Eagles uh, very well when he was in Washington. Uh, always able to put up points on this uh, defense. Very familiar with this defense, playing it Lincoln Financial Field and in that environment. So it's going to be a big test, and you know it's a big game for both teams. Vikings are. Uh, what a one-two and one, and the and the Eagles are two and two. So you know, Vikings lost, and they're you know they're really with the Bears playing well in, in that division. Uh, the Vikings are in deep trouble if they lose this game. I think they might be a little more desperate. The Eagles, I expect, might be playing better football in November and December, and right now they're just kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, but the main thing for them is to keep Carson Wentz healthy, and right now the way the offensive line is playing, and uh, that's going to be a test.
1: Well, we'll certainly see how it plays out. I mean, I, I like to say that, uh, you know, the AFC South is always full of surprises. I don't know that the Colts have it in them to, to, to make a comeback, but I still think they've got some wins in them. I, I, thought, I had thought that maybe they would win eight games. Now maybe I'm thinking about five or six games, which is going in the right direction. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts the Colts and the AFC South? What are your thoughts about the AFC South? We'll get into the Lions here in just a second. But as we look at the AFC South, certainly now it looks like the emerging uh, weed, if you will, is the Tennessee Titans. Because Jacksonville hasn't really lit the world on fire like we thought they would. We thought it would be Jacksonville and or Tennessee. Now Tennessee seems to be uh, uh, doing well, even with a ailing uh, Marcus Mariota. (laughs)
8: Yeah, I think the Colts still have a good shot, really, even though they'll be having the three losses. But, you know, like I said, you know, bringing in Frank Reich and the coaching changes, anytime you change coaches or coordinators or whatever, it's not really plug and play. You know, it, it, it all takes time. There's different terminology, different philosophies, different way guys practice, and it all takes adjustment. And, you know, the Lions are seeing that right now with Matt Patricia. And I think the Colts are a. Uh, they're still in it really because that division to me right now doesn't look as as daunting doesn't look as good as we all thought at the beginning before the season even started we was thinking that might have been the toughest division in football really and it just doesn't it doesn't look that way right the NFC south to me looks like the toughest division of football right now but the asc south i i I wouldn't go out on a limb and just say it's wide open still because tennessee does look pretty good under under variable but uh I, I just I think the Colts are still in it because that division just doesn't look it. There's a good division, but it doesn't look as great as we thought at the, end of the beginning of the year.
1: So, uh, Rick, uh, let's go ahead and uh, hang on over to the NFC North. Your the Lions, they just can't get it together, like you said, Matt. Uh, Patricia, uh, he's just a bearded man with a pencil in his ear. At this point, he's not lighting the world on fire. You got your mouth, your ass kicked. Game one against the Jets. Kate made a little bit of a comeback against the 49ers. Uh, I think you beat the Patriots and the Cowboys beat you, so you are the same record as the Colts. But what are your thoughts about your Lions?
8: Uh, you, you know, the, the the 49ers, and, you know, of course, they didn't want the Patriots off the ground, which was surprising to me. I mean, maybe that's just Matt Patricia knowing the Patriots' way in the system and that he just used that to the uh, his advantage there against the uh, New England and then, uh, you know, lost on last-second field goal to Dallas. So, it's close against the San Francisco. They beat the Patriots. Lost it close on to Dallas. Uh, after week one, I was like, you know, I can't believe we got rid of Jim Caldwell for this. You know, i was just mad like every other Lions fan. This is insane. But as you look at them now, they could easily be 3-1 and one also with the close losses to San Fran and Dallas. So, uh, you know, it's a coaching change. It all takes time. There's reports saying the players haven't adjusted well to the way he practices the team. And uh, I guess maybe they're not liking the Patriot way up in Detroit. And when they actually beat the Patriots, everybody seemed happy. So uh, it, it's going to take time. It's not going to be the year now because Chicago looks really good. You know, Green Bay's in the division. Uh, who knows really what Minnesota is. But I'm going to just say they're better than the Lions this year. So uh, it, it's going to be a tough year for the Lions. Uh five or six wins. I'm just going to go ahead and jump out there and just maybe just predict that unless things really turn around the offense and the defense can step up and, and get some stops, you know, late in games, you know, because letting Dallas drive the field and getting field goal range like they did last week, they could easily won that game. But as that been a don't break defense, that's probably going to have to change.
1: And yeah, let's talk about those Kansas City Chiefs. They've got themselves a super stud quarterback. Uh, seems to be, uh, you know, the thing about rookie quarterbacks, you just don't know. He seems like he's the real deal. He he seems like he's got that data under control, but Kansas City is a good team. Uh, You're familiar with the coaching squad up there in Kansas City. They were right there last year. Uh, Has Kansas City got it figured out for 2018?
5: Well, you know, with Andy Reid as the head coach, you, you really, the testing ground is the postseason. Uh, you know, he he's gotten teams there and then has come up short year after year after year. 14 years in Philadelphia, he took them to one Super Bowl, uh, and he has yet to do so in, I guess, what's he been in Kansas City now? Five or six years, hasn't taken them to the Super Bowl yet. Uh, so, to me, the Chiefs are always kind of, you know, I just wait and see what it looks like in the postseason. To me, they look like the best team in that division. Uh, There's a nice win against the Broncos last week in Denver. Um, And that Mahomes, he absolutely looks like the real deal. But, again, five games in or four games in, whatever we are at this point, uh, you know, the more tape that is put together with Mahomes, defenses could figure him out and challenge him. But, boy, he is fun to watch. You know, I I really got a good look at him in that game last week for the first time. And, well, he's got an arm. He's got mobility. He's got creativity. You know, he's got all the things you like to watch in a quarterback. So, I love watching good quarterback play. And, and I think he got the real deal, and maybe, maybe he will be the guy. You know, the Eagles thought they had him here in Donovan McNabb when Reed was here. But uh, to me, Mahomes looks better than McNabb uh, in a lot of areas. McNabb had the arm, but he didn't have the accuracy, I don't think, that Mahomes has. Uh, you know, that could be the difference between maybe getting Reed his first Super Bowl in Kansas City, something he couldn't do in Philadelphia. But I, I like watching Mahomes. I think he's fun to watch.
1: I think he's great. I, I'm just wondering if, the, if this is the real deal or if, if we're going to have uh, Mahone Mania just kind of uh, fall off. But he does got a heck, heck of an arm, that's for sure. Rick, what are your thoughts? Kansas City, what are your thoughts uh, on them? Uh, also, guys, you got to look at the L.A. Rams as possibly being the best uh, team in football right now. And we, we very well might be seeing uh, the 2018 Super Bowl champion play be, uh, before our eyes right now, Rick, in those, uh, those Rams.
8: Yeah, I, I agree with that. With uh, Mahomes of Kansas City, I would just say that uh, I, at some point the offense, the offensive production is probably going to fall off because you just can't keep scoring 40 points a game, you know, and do it all season long. And uh, he does look like the real deal to me. But when he's truly tested against these good teams and it's a real close game, and this game comes down, and the win's going to be put on his shoulder if he's going to be able to drive him down against, say, uh, against a team like the Patriots, you know, going against somebody like Belichick or a team coach like that. When it's really on the line, uh, when he's tested that way, we'll see how he performs in. But I I just think the uh, score points in a ridiculous way, like a video game like they're doing right now with with Mahomes, at at some point this season that's going to start to fade off.
1: Ed, what are your thoughts, though? The LA Rams are they the best team in football right now? I mean, I think if you're an LA Ram fan, you gotta like them, and uh, they certainly are doing all the right things. Uh, and going into October, November, that's when they say you gotta watch these teams. October, November, uh, and uh, the Rams are certainly passing, uh, checking off boxes.
5: Yeah, you know they're they're they look unstoppable for sure. At least they did in September. Let's see what happens uh, when we get into November and December. But right now it doesn't look like they have a a real weakness. And, you know, it almost looks like you have to kind of match them point for point because you know that going into a game that they're going to put up, uh, you know, 24 to 30 points, maybe more, probably more. So I don't know if there's a defense out there that can, can hold them, you know, to anything under three touchdowns a game. So, you know, the question is, you know, and I know here in Philadelphia, the question is, should they go and try to acquire Le'Veon Bell from the Steelers to kind of beef up that offense and eventually hope to catch the L.A. Rams in points. You know, the Eagles go out there uh, to play a regular season game. Later this year, we'll see where both teams are at that point. But, you know, that's the question is, should teams start to beef up their offense because you know you're going to have to score a lot of points to beat the Rams because it just doesn't look like there's a real weakness. Maybe the offensive line, if you can – you know, kind of blitz. If you have a good blitz scheme against them, and you could pressure golf a little bit more, you can have some success. But uh, right now, the way they're playing, it's hard to say they're not the best team in the NFL.
1: Well, you mentioned bail. I think uh, uh, the Colts would like to have bail too. There's uh, there's a lot of rumor mills around bail, but one of the things that yeah. I'm uh, hearing here recently, uh, within the last few minutes, even that the Steelers offer Lavon and bail reportedly included twenty million dollars in guarantees, and that might be enough money. You keep him in the the black and gold. What are your thoughts?
5: Well, you know, there's going to have to be, they're going to have to do a lot of uh, covering up some wounds with, uh, you know, teammates in the locker room, you know, everything that was said about Bell and his holdout, uh, what went on, uh, you know, with him not really wanting to be part of the team. So, you know, there's some, there's some uh, damage control that would need to be done in that locker room if they brought Bell back uh, from the, you know, from the inside with his teammates. So, I don't know. I, you know, they may have reached a point of no return with him, uh, and they may have to trade him. Um, but, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, clearly, the Steelers are seeing how difficult it is to win without him uh, or, you know, a top-notch running back uh, like him. So, you know, the Steelers throwing money at him, I guess, now, and we'll see if Bell takes it. But, you know, again, there, there are some wounds that were opened up during the sold out, and I don't know if that can be uh, repaired.
1: Well, I'm all about a guy getting his money. I really am. Uh, I did, I've never brought the, uh, the, the statement that players often say, it's not about the money. It's always about the money. So I'm all about him wanting to get his money, but I kind of think he took it the wrong way. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on Bell and the Steelers? And uh, I think we'd like to see him here at the Colts. I know Ed would like to see him there, there at the Eagles. I think there's a lot of teams that will get him. Now, whether or not the Colts have what it takes to bring him here, that's a different story. Uh, I know Ballard uh, has not played well in the free agency arena. We'll see if he does a little bit more here this spring. But what are your thoughts about this Bell holdout, uh, Rick?
8: I, I, I don't know what the Colts have either, to if they can get him there. But to me, I feel like that would be a pretty good fit, Uh Just in Pittsburgh, there's too many diva alpha male type egos in that locker room, you know, and Bell's just one of them, and then you got A.B. and Juju Smith-Schuster, and even though Roethlisberger kind of keeps quiet, but, you know, he's he's the big alpha dominant male type also, you know, I just think all that – mixed together in a pot just doesn't work real well, and one of these guys is going to have to go, and Le'Veon Bell's probably that guy, and I think coming to Indianapolis will be a good fit because you don't have that type of drama, at least you don't hear of it in Indianapolis, and you don't even hear that sort of thing in Philadelphia either, but I feel like, you know, the Colts have always just been missing a running back since Joseph Adai, really, and I just think it makes sense to bring Le'Veon Bell into, into Indianapolis.
1: And you know, I, I and I, I like your argument about him coming to the Eagles, but let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, talk about him coming to the Colts. What Rick just said about uh, needing a running back in my mind, in my thoughts, I, I'm thinking that if we bring Bell in, it's just more of a replacement for Gore. What are your thoughts?
5: Well, I mean, uh, Bell's a lot younger. The question is, is I don't know what the salary cap situation is in Indianapolis if they can afford to bring him in because when you bring him in, you're going to have to sign him.
3: Uh, I'm not
5: sure he's going to want to play out under his current contract and become a free agent because he doesn't want to do that in Pittsburgh for fear of injury. And we saw what happened with Earl Thomas uh, when he was playing out his contract and he broke his leg. So, uh, you know, Bell is going to want a new contract. I don't know what kind of money the Colts have to throw at him. I know in Philadelphia, it's particularly difficult. They're only about $5 million under the salary cap and Carson Wentz is going to be doing a huge raise here uh, very soon. So I don't know if, The Eagles could really afford him. I mean, it sounds nice in theory. And, you know, maybe you could trade Jay Ajayi uh, to the Steelers in exchange for Bell. Both those running backs will be free agents at the end of the year. Then there's the compensatory picks that would be involved should either of those players walk at the end of the year. But, you know, for the Colts, it's a matter of how much money do they have to spend. Where are they spending their money now? I know Luck gets a lot of money, and the Eagles are going to be in that boat with Wentz here, either after this year or next year, uh, when they have to give him a new contract. So I don't know if they could afford Bell. I'm not sure the Colts can. Maybe you know Rick knows a little bit more about their salary cap and uh, you know what they can part with. I know the Eagles have two number two draft picks also next year, so you know they could throw a number two and Jay Ajayi uh, at the Steelers and acquire Bell. But again, I don't know if they would be able to fit him into any sort of salary structure the kind of salary the bell wants anyway
1: um you know i, I don't know exactly what the, the cap is uh i think we lost rick actually rick are you still with us
8: yep still here but i get going here buddy i
1: i, I know you got to get going yeah you got Hard something out. to do on the golf course and conor mcgregor today what the heck what the yeah, heck yeah here's what okay. i'm doing i'm
8: going up the I'm going an hour north of here to play golf and then watch the uh, the Irish dominate Virginia Tech tonight and then going to watch the Conor McGregor fight. So fun-filled Saturday. Maybe I'll throw in Bed Bath and Beyond. But I don't know if I have any time. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rick. We'll, we'll talk
1: with you again soon and and, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get you uh, uh, back in the, in, off the vacation swing. But that's all, that's all good, brother. It's all right. good.
8: <laughs> all right. Thanks for having me on. Good talking to you again, Ed. See you
1: guys. <laughs> All right. And, and Ed, I know you said that you uh, kind of had a hard stop too. Is that still the case, or? Yeah, about ten forty.
5: About ten forty-five. I, I pushed okay. back a little. Okay, well, we'll keep so, going. You know, got we're still fifteen.
1: Okay, we're still waiting on Mo to join us too, because Mo's going to join us for some MLB uh, post-season uh, talk. But how about going back to Bell and? the thing about running backs is you're right age plays a factor in it, but they don't have a long shelf life. So when you pay that kind of money to bill, you're basically assuring uh, that he'll be with you for the rest of his career. Is bill worth the money that he's asking for? I, again, I'm all for a guy getting his money. Don't get me wrong, but is he worth as much as he thinks he's worth?
5: Well, you know, he is a pretty darn good running back. And, you know, if you just look at the Colts situation, you know, put some weapons around Andrew Luck for heaven's sake, you know, it's time to uh, give him some receivers other than T.Y. Hilton. It's time to give him a running game. Uh, you know, I think he'd be a fabulous addition to, you know, to the Colts, to a lot of teams. but yeah, I think he's worth the investment. I And I think you're kind of seeing a shift in maybe some of the thinking about running backs. We saw the Giants take Saquon Barkley, number two, and the, and the Cowboys took Ezekiel Elliott fourth, uh, you know, a few years ago. So, yeah, I think running backs definitely have a place in the NFL for sure. And I know the sh- the shelf life is short, um, but look, Bell to me is still in his prime at 26 years old. He could go another four or five years. So yeah, I think he's definitely worth the money. And then, and then you look at some of the older guys, you mentioned Frank Gore, who, you know, he has stayed healthy. He's had a lot of longevity to his career. You're seeing kind of a resurgence of uh, Adrian Peterson this year in Washington. I know he, he, you know, he missed some time obviously with, you know, the suspension or whatever he had there, I think, a couple of years ago. And I know he's had injuries. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think running backs, if they take care of themselves uh, and are smart about taking care of their body, going out of bounds when they can or, you know, not plowing into guys to sort of extend their shelf life, yeah, I, I think they're absolutely worth it. I think for the Colts it would be a tremendous acquisition because I think you have to put weapons around luck. And, you know, that's the best one out there at the running back spot. So why not do what you can to get them?
1: I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I, Ballard's just kind of I, – I don't know uh, if Stingy's the right word, but he just kind of has – and and it seemed to have worked for him in Kansas City. It worked for him in, with the Bears. Uh, but he's got a, a firm belief to build the team through the draft and, and to fill in gaps through the free agency. But there again, we just talked about Bell even wanting to be a free agent so we'll see if the time runs out for him to be a free agent or, we, or they're just going to have to trade and what are they going to have to do to get with him. Let's talk a little bit about the stupidness. Of, uh, and I tell you what, if I was the Seahawks, I would get, get him off of that team as soon as possible. I'm talking about Earl Thomas. That was the most disrespectful as a player and to your team and to your fans to be carted off your field and give your your sideline, the finger there's no excuse for that
5: i I absolutely agree. I thought it you know, it was very shameful. Uh, and, and you know you have to wonder if the NFL would levy any kind of suspension for conduct detrimental to the league. You can't have a player flipping off uh, the team as, be, as he's being carted off. Look, I understand the emotion that it was involved. He decided to play out his contract for the you know the risk of injury, but you know that was a decision that he made um and and i credit him for that he could have taken this Le'Veon bell stance but he he had a contract he chose to honor it but listen you you can't do that you know i mean that's just that's not a good look uh on any level uh and and you know maybe it kind of shows kind of a little bit of the character that earl thomas has and you know do you want that type of player on your team uh who puts himself first uh over ahead of your teammates to that extent i i don't know i just it was a bad look and Uh, You know, once he's healthy, I guess they're saying by the time free agency hits next March, uh, that leg will be healed and, uh, you know, he'll be good to go. But you don't know. He's an older player. He's, you know, 30, 31, going in the next season. You don't know how that injury will impact him long term uh, to sign a big contract. So uh, once he's healthy, we'll see if the NFL decides to say, look, you know, you got three game suspension for conduct detrimental uh, because that was conduct detrimental for sure.
1: Well, absolutely. I and mean, you got to wonder, is there another team going to want him after that? I mean, right. I don't know. We'll see how, how, how that all goes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the the Bengals. Obviously, Giannavi Bernard uh, to miss some times, and they just placed Tyler Ebert on the IR. could have come out of worse time for the Bengals because the Bengals have started off strong, but I fear these two, uh, these two injuries uh, could be uh, season impacting.
5: Yeah, how's Mixon coming along? I don't know what Mixon's status is, but um, I know he. They got still have him
1: so. listed as questionable. <laughs> so whatever yeah, that means. Yeah, so,
5: well, yeah, that usually means that they're not playing. They're going to have to wait and see how the Saturday practices go. Um, but you know, you still have Mixon. If he's healthy, I really like Mixon. Um, losing Eifert, you know, they've dealt with injuries to Eifert before, and they you know they haven't always dealt with them well. The Bengals, so we'll see how they're able to cover that up, but. Um, You know, the Bengals defense is doing a pretty good job, too. But you're right. Once these injuries start to stack up, uh, you can see what kind of effect they have. Of course, you know, you're talking about an Eagles team last year that had so many key injuries, and yet they were able to win a Super Bowl. But if you lose a guy at a key spot where you're a little thin at depth and maybe running back is that spot, if Mixon can't stay healthy, uh, then it's going to impact you for sure.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about John Gruden and the Raiders. As we've talked about many times, they're playing for a a team that's going to be playing in Vegas, not so much with Oakland. Uh, But when he was asked about Marshawn Lynch's workload, he said, I'm not concerned at all. John Gruden, a little bit old school, I get it, with the media and stuff. But what are your thoughts on that comment about Marshawn Lynch's workload?
0: Well,
5: yeah, I mean... I guess that's what Marshawn Lynch wants to hear. You know, Lynch wants the ball. He wants to run the ball. So, I I don't – I'm pretty sure Lynch doesn't have a problem with him saying that. Um, You know, the problem with John Gruden, though, is you see comments like he made this week about the safety. uh, Derwin James, I think his name is, the kid uh, that came out last year was (laughs) drafted by the Chargers and is making an impact. And, you know, Gruden comes out and kind of undercuts his GM when he says, you know, I wanted to draft Derwin James instead they took an offensive tackle they didn't draft the safety because they had just picked one in Carl Joseph in the second round and another kid uh a year before that so uh you know to me Gruden isn't really making some very astute moves and, and things that he says and things that he does uh he's been away from the game the sideline game I should say for what 10 years I know he was in the broadcast booth but it's a whole different animal when you're immersed inside an organization and uh you're the one impacting decisions so uh, to me, Gruden hasn't really gotten off on the best foot. Uh, I don't really have a problem with him saying he's not concerned about Lynch's workload. But I have a problem with a lot of other things that he's said and done. And, uh, you know, we're going to see how that's all going to play out here over the next year or two. You know, maybe, you know, maybe Gruden isn't the right fit in the NFL on the sidelines at this point in his career after being away from so, for so long. He needs to adjust. If he, if he doesn't adjust, he'll become extinct
1: exactly just like a dinosaur that he is but he's going to be a very right. rich dinosaur when he becomes extinct, that's for sure you know we talked <laughs> a little bit sure. about we talked a little bit about the uh soap opera life uh, happening there in uh Pittsburgh it just seems like it's one thing after another uh Ben Roethlisberger uh uh brought up with Stormy Daniels you've got the bail issue uh you know you've got uh, You've got uh, uh, Antonio Brown uh, issue. And I, I don't know if you saw uh, this past week. Antonio uh, said on a conference Friday, and I think it was a tweet something, uh, he said the connection between me and uh, Ben Roethlisberger is like Wi-Fi. Antonio Brown it was on his, uh, on his connection to Ben Roethlisberger. It's like Wi-Fi. You know, sometimes the connection is poor. Sometimes the connection is great but it's always connected. I guess that's uh, and I guess that's kind of a funny comparison, uh, but probably not yeah. a bad one. The key to what he's saying is they're always connected, which is a good sign about their relationship. But certainly uh, it's it's been crazy there on the sidelines of the Pittsburgh
5: Steelers. Yeah, you know, it really has. I didn't hear Antonio Brown make those comments, but they're pretty funny. It's a good comparison. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's Mike Tomlin's biggest job is to try and get everybody uh, – you know, on the same page and, you know, pulling on the same end of the rope, all those cliches uh, to get this team focused on winning football games. Because to me, you know, yeah, the Bengals are playing well and the Ravens have looked good so far. But, you know, that's a division, you know, and the Browns are getting better. Now, let's face it, the Browns, uh, you know, they're going to win some games this year, I think. Um, They just have to figure out how. But, you know, that's a division that, to me, is still kind of wide open, you know, maybe not so much from a Brown perspective, but the Steelers certainly can win that division again. Uh, but that's the challenge is getting these guys focused on winning and not worrying about what's said and done inside that locker room. And that that's not easy. That's You know, that's always easier said than done, of course. But, you know, Tomlin's been the head coach there for a very long time. And, uh, you know, if anybody can do it, he, he is the one to do it. Uh, if he doesn't do it, he's probably going to lose his job. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how things – kind of uh, progress here as the next month goes on with the Pittsburgh Steelers because they they have the talent, no doubt, to win that division. It's still wide open to me. It's just a matter of, you know, putting out those little locker room fires.
1: You know, speaking of uh, locker room fires, if you will, uh, Jerry Jones is always in the middle of some fire, but he says he's not interested in a Dez Bryant Cowboys reunion. Uh, Any thoughts on that?
5: Why would he be? I mean, you know, they cut the guy. He kind of ripped them on his way out the door. Uh, they know what he is at this point, point. Uh, and is he better than what they had? Maybe or what they have now? The, the Cowboys that receiver, maybe I don't know. I mean, you know, he certainly didn't look like a, a number one or even a number two receiver the last couple of years. So I don't see why uh, Jerry Jones would want to go back to that. It's time to move on. You know, cut your losses, go with what you have, and know that that's where you need to build uh, going into the off season is at that receiver spot. I don't, I don't blame him one bit for not. Um, you know, for not uh, bringing Des Bryant back at all.
1: So uh, we'll finish things off here with you, Ed, today. I appreciate you coming on with us, as always, and giving us your wealth of knowledge on the NFL. We'll, we'll, we'll end with your game again, and that's the Vikings and the Eagles. Uh, the Vikings activate uh, Cantrell Brothers and, and cut offensive line Brian Wittsman. Uh Thoughts on that uh, uh, deal as well, uh, but do you think there's some bad, bad blood a- brewing between the Eagles and the Vikings?
0: Uh, Well,
5: I I don't know. Maybe between the fan bases.
1: (laughs)
6: Uh,
5: (laughs) You know, that whole NFC championship game and, you know, fans, Minnesota fans that came here weren't real happy with their treatment. But, uh, you know, I don't know on the field. I mean, it's really uh, they don't play each other all that often. Uh, I know the Eagles uh, in the regular season haven't really done well against the Vikings. But they own them in the playoffs. They're 4-0 against the Vikings in the playoffs. This isn't a playoff game on Sunday, but I think it's going to have that feel. Like I said earlier, both teams are kind of desperate. Um, and you mentioned the offensive line move that they made. I mean, that's that to me is the Vikings' biggest problem is that offensive line. They're giving up tons of pressure. I think I saw a stat on Pro Football Focus that they've given up 180 pressures so far this year, which puts them on pace for 325 pressures and you know, Kirk Cousins got a little mobility, but he's not—you know—he's not some Houdini back there that's going to be able to withstand, you know, rush after rush. And if the Vikings don't shore up that offensive line, uh, it's going to be a long year. They can't run the ball either with that offensive line. They're ranked dead last uh, in running in the NFL. And this is a team with Dalvin Cook uh, on the roster. He's not having the year that I thought he would have, bouncing back from that knee injury last year. He's only averaging about two yards a carry. Doesn't have a touchdown yet. But a lot of that is the offensive line. Riley Reef at one of the tackle spots, they paid him a ton of money. Uh, he's just not getting the job done. They had another tackle, Mike Remmers, that they gave a lot of money to. they He was so, in, you know, incapable of tackle, they had to move him inside the guard and, and throw a young kid out there at tackle. So, uh, you know, their center, elf line hasn't played very well either. So that offensive line is the big weakness with these Vikings. And, um, you know, again, if the Eagles can pressure that line and pressure Cousins like – Teams have done so far against the Vikings this year. Then you know it's going to be a long day for Minnesota. Um, but to answer your question, with animosity on the field, I don't I don't really see it. I mean, I know the Vikings will come in here with a chip on their shoulder after getting smoked in the NFC title game last year, thirty-seven to seven, I think it was. So you know they're going to bring that in. They're going to bring that air of desperation because, like I said, they lose. They're sitting at one three and one, and the way the Bears are playing, uh, you know that's not that doesn't bode well for them. So they're going to come in here you know, ready to play, uh, ready to, you know, win this game if they can. But, you know, as far as animosity goes, that can only get you in trouble. If you play like you're mad at the other team, you know, then you forget your assignments, uh, then then maybe you make mistakes. you got to come in, play smart, play aggressive if you're the Vikings, and hope to steal a win at the Lincoln Financial Field, where the Eagles, under Doug Peterson, are 17-3, and counting playoffs. Peterson became the head coach in 2016. Not an easy place to play um but i just think it's gonna to me i think it's gonna be a shootout type of a game i think it's gonna be a a pretty fun game to watch and i think it's america's game of the week on fox so i think a lot of america is going to get to see it but i think you're going to see a lot of points in this game
1: well we certainly hope so uh ed kratz uh, joins us our official nfl contributor beat writer for the philadelphia eagles uh with sports exchange catch him at www.footballmaven.io slash eagles uh Ed, I know you got to go. I, I know you got to go, and I appreciate you joining us. Mo is standing by in the balance green room. We're going to be talking some MLB playoffs. Ed, you have yourself a good weekend, and uh, I hope the Eagles beat the Vikings.
5: Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. You All, right. The same. All right,
1: buddy. Ed Kratz uh, uh, joins us, and Rick R- R- Riggin was with us earlier. Matthew Embry and Steve Wilson, but joining us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, I know you weren't involved in the uh, uh, football conversations, but any takeaway from Thursday's game against uh, the Colts and, and the Patriots? I mean, the, again, the Colts look good uh, on the field, uh, but it, it all comes together on the wins and losses, and the Patriots just pick apart part the Indianapolis Colts piece by piece and do what they do uh, in, in uh, New England at home. I, don't, I didn't never really see a time where the Colts had any control over that game at all.
9: Yeah, the uh, you know it didn't look good. I know you had some hope that it would uh, it would be a better game and the Colts would win, but uh, yeah, I mean, what happened is what you know I thought would happen. The Colts got picked apart. Uh, you know, when Leonard, your best defensive player, goes out early on, and with all the injuries the Colts had, it just it didn't line up for things to be good for the Indianapolis Colts on uh, things against the Patriots. Let's get into some MLB talk. We love
1: talking baseball in the month of October, and we've got some really good matchups. Let's talk about the, uh, the classic match-up, matchup between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, certainly, I think a lot of people thought the A's could beat the Yankees. Uh, wasn't the case with the A's were uh, red hot. The Brewers are red hot. Uh, you got to like where the Braves ended up at, even though the, the result hasn't been what it is. Well, let's just kind of go through these games, and, and we'll try to get through this uh series the best that we can let's let's uh let's uh, start uh we had the. I lost my place that's okay no no big deal let's talk about the brewers what are your thoughts on the brewers the rockies uh let's let's talk a little bit about where the brewers are i you got to like them. you got to like them
9: well i mean you know the brewers uh, made a lot of pickups this year uh, adding to their team you've got the probable NL MVP in Kristen Yelich uh, you've got a decent pitching staff and guys that come out of the uh, bullpen who throw hard. So, uh, I mean, the thing for the Brewers uh, against the Rockies is the Rockies played in four different cities in four different nights, and you know that's tough on any team when you've got uh, the uh, the one game playoff with the Dodgers and you try to play in Chicago, and uh, you know then off to Milwaukee. Not to mention they were in a different city the night before the one game playoff. So, uh, a tough uh, you know a tough road for uh, for the Rockies to try to be competitive in this series. Uh, so far, it's been all brewers, but it's been all brewers late. So, uh, you know, the games have been close up front. Now, the uh, the Rockies just have to get the bats going in the later innings.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the Cleveland Indians. You know a little bit, something about them, of course. The Houston Astros, uh, good matchup. I, I'm not seeing the, I'm not seeing the passion I saw last October with the Cleveland Indians. Or is that just me?
9: Well, I, I think the problem is when you get your ace in the mound and Corey Kluber. Uh, you don't expect what happened yesterday with all the uh, home runs that the Astros hit. That was the uh, biggest downfall, obviously, last night for the uh, for the Indians. But you know, top to bottom and bench-wise, I think the Indians have one of the better teams in the playoffs uh, just because they are so loaded, even on their on their bench. But I mean, the Astros are defending champions. They do have a uh, a light top pitching staff, and you got guys that put the ball in play, and and that's what happened yesterday. A lot, and guys putting the ball in the fence. So. The Astros can kill you in a bunch of different ways, and I think uh, it's disappointing for the Indians that uh, that their ace got roughed up like that, so they've got to try to bounce back uh, this afternoon when they take on Houston again down there in Houston.
1: You gotta love this matchup, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, always a fiery matchup, a classic matchup, one that every, I think, network uh, that, that runs baseball wants to have this uh, this matchup. Uh, you got the Yankees and the Red Sox, the, the Red Sox take game one, uh, five to four, this looks like it's going to be another great uh, bloodbath, if you will, between two teams that hate each other fiercely.
9: Well, you've, you've pretty much got the uh, you've got the Red Sox pitching against the uh, the Yankees hitting, and one thing that hurt the Yankees obviously in this by having to play the wild card game is you know you don't have you don't get to have your uh, your pitching staff set like the Red Sox got to do not playing that wild card game. But uh, you know it feels like a series that that could go five and, and probably should go five. But you know what, uh, who's going to come out on top when you've got those great uh, Boston pitchers against that great Yankee lineup? So. Uh, You're right, it should be a fun series, and hopefully a series that goes all five.
1: Mo, let's talk about these Atlanta Braves. Uh, Rick Riggins' uh, team, Uh, obviously my Cardinals didn't get in it. The Dodgers uh, seem to be doing Dodger baseball. Uh, The Braves just seem to hit a brick wall. I mean, they really had a great season. They just haven't been able to to seal the deal here in the postseason, and they go down uh, 0-2 against the Dodgers.
9: Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got a team where it's a long year, it's a lot of young guys, and, I, you know, I think this is where the time of year when a team like the Dodgers with a lot of veterans, with a lot of guys with playoff experience, with a team that went to the World Series last year, you know, they know what it's like when you get into this, this stretch where, you know, after people are, are tired and guys are burned out, the Dodgers, you know, they may have older guys, but they got guys with experience. And I think these young guys, you know, they've kind of hit a brick wall after 162 games. They haven't scored a run yet in the playoffs so far. So that's got to be the first thing. I think they got to get that first run across the plate, and then go from there. And guys can take a deep breath and relax. So I think scoring a run. I mean, obviously scoring runs is important, but them getting that first run across the, in the playoffs, I think will be uh, will be good for the Braves. And and they've got uh, they've got one game to do it. So they're going to be sitting at home watching the rest of this.
1: Well we got a few scenarios to look at We could be uh, looking at uh, the, the Dodgers and the Brewers in the NLCS Or we could be looking at the Rockies And the Braves in the NLCS Or we could be looking at you know a, a combination of things but I think logically If we were just to look at where we're at Now unless the Rockies can turn some things on Which is very well possible as you mentioned earlier But I do like the Brewers so the Brewers are Hot and when, when you're hot in October you're hot something is said to Be said for home field advantage and Momentum in October uh, so so if I was to uh, bet, which I kind of am, but you really are, would you put your money on the on the uh, Dodgers and the Brewers and the Brewers coming out to go to the World Series?
9: No, I would put my money on the Dodgers. I think they're a team with a lot of experience. I think they've overall got the best top-to-bottom lineup, even though the, the Brewers do uh, hold the uh, NL MVP in Christian Yelich. I think the Dodgers are the team that's, that was built to win this year. Uh, they've got too many uh, guys that they've picked up. You had a guy like Manny Machado and, and a couple of players they've added. There's just no doubt in my mind that they've, they've been built to win. They've got the experience. So even though the Brewers are a team that's uh, that's on fire right now, top to bottom in a, a seven-game series, I, I'd like the Dodgers.
1: So let's uh, reverse that a little bit for the American League. What about the Astros and the Red Sox on the Red Sox go to the World Series?
9: It would be a it would be a year like the Golden State Warriors had when they won 73 games and couldn't couldn't close the deal against the Cavaliers. If the uh, Red Sox have the best year they've had ever in team history with uh, over 100 wins and can't close the deal, I mean, you, it feels like pitching wins playoff games, but it's it's hard to say that with that Yankees lineup. So, uh, you know, I mean, smart money says it's the Astros and the Red Sox, but. Uh, that series wouldn't surprise me either way. The American League, to me, feels a lot more competitive than the National League does.
1: Well, let's get some uh, gambling advice some bloodlines give us some uh, sure bets give us uh, uh some long shot bets give us uh where, where to steer away from unless we just want to lose our money let's just uh, go through a a few games first of all uh in the nfl what are the top three games that you would stay away from and what are the top three games that you would say go ahead and put your money where it belongs uh on on the betting counter if you will those three teams
9: all right, you'll have to uh, give me one second. I apologize. I was unprepared for that. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We had a
1: little extra time, so I, I threw you a curveball, no pun intended. That, that's that's <laughs> No okay. problem. That's okay.
9: Um, I'll tell you what, you, do you have the games in front of you? you give me a couple I can, I remember, I can tell you. Okay,
1: we'll just go through the NFL. you got the Broncos and the Jets, the Packers, the Lions, the Giants, the Panthers, the Titans, the Bills, uh, Falcons at the Steelers uh blah, 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 and stand by
9: you got uh, the game I like just uh, I like the I like the over in that game you've got a team in the Falcons that have uh, that scored a lot of points the last two weeks and not one uh, you have got two defenses that are not good uh in the Falcons and the Steelers the uh, I remember the line is 56 and a half so I like the over in that one and I also like the uh, the Falcons getting three points uh, in Pittsburgh uh, so they don't have to win the game, which they haven't been able to the last couple of weeks. But they can, uh, they can still score a lot of points. So I like the, uh, I like the Falcons uh, in that game, plus the three points, plus the over of uh, fifty-six and a half.
1: So we look at the Ravens and the Browns. How much is the line going to move when the Browns with Baker Mayfield at the helm at home?
9: Well, so normally what happens is when you're an NFL team at home. That adds three points to the line, uh, you know, either to the positive or the negative. Uh, So uh, what it's done is it opened at one, uh, minus one for uh, for Baltimore, and now it's up to minus three. Uh, You know, the Baltimore is is such a hard team to bet on just because they're so up and down. Uh, They're a team that looks dominant one week, and then they're a team that looks, you know, like they – they look like they're they're just world beers, and all of a sudden they look like they can't do anything right. So, um, so uh, you know, it, it's a team to me that, that looks like uh, that's a game that I stay away from and up put my money on. Baltimore's so hard for me to uh, bet for or against just because of the, the type of football they play, so up and down.
1: What about the Jags and the Chiefs? The Chiefs are really good this year. They've got a great quarterback. We talked with him a little bit earlier. The Jaguars. Uh, aren't really what we thought they would be in the AFC South. I mean, they're still a good team, still a little bit better than the Colts. It looks like the Titans are kind of uh, starting to be the team to watch, which is kind of what we thought in the AFC South. Uh, but uh, certainly they've got a good matchup at ho- I mean, the, the Kansas City has a good matchup at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars.
9: This is a game that would be a pick em because it's, uh, it's Kansas City given three points, and they're given that just because they are at home. Uh, this is a game that, uh, that you look at, and part of it makes me want to take the under on it. Uh, it's 49 points. Uh, you know, it, you take Jacksonville's defense uh, against his Kansas City offense. Uh, you know, this could be one that would be fun for the under. Uh, you know, it's another game that uh, I decided to stay away from this week just because, uh, you know, you've got a quarterback in Pat Mahomes who has put up a ridiculous numbers so far, uh, but he's also... Uh, a guy that's still young and and still like a rookie, uh, so going up against that uh, that uh, Jacksonville defense. It just it was too risky uh, with the way both of these teams play for me to want to put my money on it this week. One more NFL game, I and mean,
1: you heard us uh, talking about it when you came on, and that's the Vikings and the Eagles. The Eagles are at home. Uh, the, the Eagles ha- are going through a little bit of a, uh, a honeymoon hangover, but you have a, a Minnesota Vikings that is out for blood against the Philadelphia Eagles.
9: Well, uh, it's another one where it would be a pick but Philadelphia is given the three points because they are at home, and, and I think maybe that's going to make the difference. The thing that scares me is, uh, you know, it's another team like Baltimore with this uh, Minnesota offense where they've been up and down, uh, even though they uh, they lost last week to the Rams. The Rams have a, a tremendous defense, but, the uh, you know, Minnesota hung in early on. Um, it's a game that would be hard to put my money on just because, you know, you got Minnesota coming in looking for revenge. Uh, you've got a Philadelphia team trying to protect their home. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, you know, a good offense. Carson Wentz in his third game back. Uh, you got some key pieces missing on the Minnesota defense. I think, you know, as right, it could be a game where there's a lot of points scored. Uh, so because of that, uh, you know, if you want to do the over, it's a low, uh, a low point total at 46. Um, so to me, that's just that's a game that uh, that I would probably stay away from just because of uh, just because of the two teams that are playing.
1: Couple uh, college games. We see one of The big games being played tonight. Is no- against Virginia Tech. Notre Dame played very well against Stanford last year last uh, year. what are your thoughts? I believe that it's a Virginia Tech, I believe on that. but either, either which way, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech
9: Well, I mean you know this is a, this is a big game obviously for for Notre Dame, their team looking to uh, get themselves in the playoffs. Notre Dame's given six and a half points at Virginia Tech. It's not a ton, but uh, you know, Notre Dame has played down to some competition this year, obviously. Uh they played well last week against Stanford, but they're a team that's played down uh, to their competition so far this year. So uh they're a team that uh that uh, you know, six and a half doesn't seem like a lot. Uh I could probably convince myself less than a touchdown to do that. Uh, but again, you know, it's uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see since the uh, since the quarterback change. So uh, it's probably a game I would take a chance on uh Notre Dame giving six and a half to Virginia Tech. Texas at Oklahoma. This would be a fun one. It tends to be quite wild and crazy every single year. Um, you know, it's uh, Baker Mayfield's already been on Twitter this morning trolling the uh, the Texas Longhorns uh, with some tweets. So uh, that's kind of fun. and Adds a little more a uh, little more fire to it. Um, you know, Texas seems to have kind of turn things around after their uh, early season stumbles. Um, Oklahoma still, they're, they're just, man, they're just so good. Uh, they're, they've got uh, uh, quite the quarterback. They're a team that, uh, that can definitely lay it on you real quick. Uh, this will be a game where Texas can prove that they really are for real in this game. If I'm, uh, if I'm putting my money down, I'm putting my money on Oklahoma today.
1: Clipson against a somewhat decent Wake Forest at home. No, I'm it's sorry, Wake Forest is at home. My, my apologies. Go ahead.
9: It's going to be interesting to see uh, how Clemson rebounds uh, from last week. They're given 20 points, and uh, they're, uh, they're a team that uh, after uh, a quarterback injury last week, I don't know that I would definitely put my money on as close as they played uh, with Syracuse. Uh, so 20 points in this game does seem like a lot. Normally it probably wouldn't be, but uh, I, if I'm going to bet this game, I would probably take Wake Forest and take the 20 points.
1: A game a lot of people are going to be watching. Number thirteen, Kentucky Wildcats against the Texas A and M Aggies, and they're at, and, and Texas A and M are at home.
9: Yeah, you know it's
0: uh,
9: Jimbo Fisher needs to get uh, things together here and get them together pretty quick. But uh, you know, Kentucky has been a very fun team to watch so far. I don't think a lot of people were counting on. Uh, on this Kentucky team to, to be as good as they are, uh, you know, and, and it shows by the fact that A&M only given six points. I think last year it was almost a 30-point line. So, uh, you know, it's really hard. I mean, I like Kentucky a lot, but you're going into that stadium, that environment, and you're playing against a team that uh, that definitely recruits a lot better than Kentucky does. I, I, would, I would stay away from it just because it, six doesn't seem like a lot. I'd love to see Kentucky win the game outright, but it's just it's too few points for me to put money on and risk it. We've been
1: talking with Mo for the VS Sports Show. Let's uh, cap it off with uh, some uh, fun Big Ten action. You got Ohio State at Indiana. Indiana always plays Ohio State good. And at home, I don't know that they have the uh, enough uh, in them to beat Ohio State, but maybe it's a good pick because they can cover the spread.
9: Well, I've cast on this game every year for the past four or five years, and here's why. I only bet the first half because that seems to where uh, Indiana is able to stay close with Ohio State. Uh, Usually the end of the third quarter is where things start to fall apart. Uh, It's a lower spread than it has been in past years, only 26 and a half. Um, I would take Indiana. I would take the points, but I would also bet it heavily just in the first half.
1: An interesting game that I think is is going to be good to watch. I like Nebraska. They've had kind of a slow start, uh, but I do think there again they may not be able to beat Wisconsin, but I think they also can cover the spread against uh, the Badgers.
9: Well, what would scare me is they've gotten beat by terrible teams so far this year already, and you know Wisconsin as uh, a team looking to uh, to get things rolling, trying to take that uh, their side of the conference uh, again this year. Uh, There, it's it's a seven. It's dropped uh, from twenty three where it opened to seventeen and a half. So if you like Nebraska, you only get if you bet it early. It's something I would probably like the the seventeen and a half. Uh, You figure Scott Frost turns around sooner or later, but man, it it just they've just been terrible all the way around. But uh, I would probably take Wisconsin and give the points, but it would be one that is close enough that would make me not open my wallet for it.
1: Final game, Michigan at Maryland. Number fifteen, Michigan. Maryland's at home. Well,
9: uh, it would have been a matchup with Jim Harbaugh and his former coach, but uh, since uh, D.J. Durkin is suspended, they're probably going to be fired. Uh, you know, Michigan's been on a roll these last few weeks. Uh, I see that continue today. Uh, it's seventeen and a half. The line has not moved since it opened. Uh, I would take Michigan to give the points.
1: Mo from the BS Sports Show Appreciate you joining us today Where can people find work in your masterpieces sir
9: uh, On Twitter At Mo Radio Show
1: Alright buddy you have yourself a good day And uh, hopefully uh, all your bets pay off
9: Sir Thank you Tom I appreciate it Sure
1: Mo from the BS4 show. Joining us, talk a little bit about MLB action, postseason action. And uh, we always like to talk betting with Mo. Mo knows his betting, uh, that's for sure. Thanks to Matthew Embry for breaking down some college football with us. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, talking uh, Dover, uh, talking uh, new Aero Kits, uh, talking some NASCAR news with us. And Ed Kratz and Rick Riggin uh, joined us for some NFL talk. And so I think we've covered the gamut. My name is Tom Mark. Marcos El Presidente, remember, don't drink and drive. It didn't cool. We'll see you hopefully uh, if all goes well, and we have puppy dogs and butterflies and all of that good stuff. Uh, we'll have breaking rank on Wednesday night. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. It didn't cool. I'm out of here, deuces.